Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you a little? Are you worried? You ridiculous morgoon. Bye bye. Yeah right. Yeah right. Your host Stephen Khan. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week nine of the college football season. You know, there's there's a lot. There's so much going on. I like to give you you know glimpses into my world without giving you the full picture. But if you hear, if you're hearing noises in the background, there is unfortunately construction going on. I haven't pinpointed exactly where it is. It might be in the unit next to me. It might be in the unit above me. Hopefully the sound does not come through on the audio, but boy, is it quite, quite annoying for me. I will also say that it is currently 5.06 p.m. on Wednesday. And uh, I have just consumed a 12-ounce bottle of champagne. Again, we're, we're just here to give you glimpses into what's going on in my life without providing the, the full picture. I like to let the listeners fill in the gaps on their own. But anyway, how is everybody doing? Gotta start the show with some quick shout-outs. First, to producers John and Ellie uh, for posting this episode from their honeymoon after a wonderful wedding weekend. How's that for alliteration? Thanks to them. Always doing a great job. Second, but equally important to Mr. Jim Zielinski, a very loyal listener if there ever was one. I hope that he's listening to this right now while on a great bike ride, maybe just wrapping up a bike ride, coming around Friends Lane, heading for home. That would be a really, really special time to be hearing this shout out. And lastly, to listeners Mikey and Danny Dimes, uh, both of whom commented, commented last week about the shorter-than-usual runtime of the episode. And, you know, and that made me look inward. Um, and the thing is, when, when you're sitting here alone in your dining room slash living room hybrid, talking to a computer by yourself, you, come, you become very aware of how long you're talking. So I always feel like every episode is too long. But message received, you want a little more content. We're going to add a little more meat to the bone, you know, maybe a little DeBraga meat. Um, Go to DeBraga.com, still, you know, still knock on wood, hoping for that apron. Um, But uh, head over to DeBraga.com, get yourself some meat. We're going to add a little more meat to the bone this week, and we'll see what we can do going forward. Now, let's get on to the football. I think we got a pretty good episode here this week. Um, You know, it'll it'll be the normal stuff, but we do have an interview with a familiar voice later in the show to talk about the big matchup in the Big Ten between Michigan and Michigan State. We'll do a little bit of a bonus movie review snuck in there as well. Um, and yeah, I'll be I'll be previewing my upcoming trip to South Bend to see the Irish take on the Tar Heels. We'll talk about a few other matchups that maybe looked a lot more interesting a few weeks ago, and a few matchups that are looking surprisingly interesting as we sit here in Week 9. But first... Let's take a look back on week eight, and let's go all the way back to last Wednesday when Appalachian State knocked Coastal Carolina from the ranks of the unbeaten in in a great back-and-forth contest. Uh, The Mountaineers won on a last-second field goal. Interestingly enough, it was the program's second-ever win against a top-25 team, the first also coming on a last-second field goal, although that was one that they blocked at Michigan in 2007. So great win by Appalachian State. Coastal Carolina, certainly a great performance, although no longer undefeated. Also losing their first game of the season was Oklahoma State. 
in what was really even back and forth game, no turnovers, multiple lead changes, arguably the worst unsportsmanlike conduct uh, taunting penalty I've ever seen in my life, although it didn't really end up mattering. Um, but Ohio, but Iowa State, I should say, um, able to uh, able to take the lead in the fourth quarter, hang on for the win. Unfortunately, not the cover. Went one and two last week. We're back to five hundred. We're, we're, we're focused. We're refocused. We're going to do what we need to do to get some wins here, a couple wins in a row. Um, but we'll we'll talk about that a little later in the show. As for the rest of the unbeatens, SMU demolished Tulane to get to 7-0. Michigan did the same to Northwestern. Uh, since he remained uh, undefeated but, but did struggle with Navy, they had to intercept a pass late in the game after surrendering an onside kick, uh, hung on for a 7 Point victory. Oklahoma trailed 10-0 at the half to Kansas and needed one of the most heads-up plays I've ever seen from Caleb Williams to help preserve a win in Lawrence there. Uh, UTSA crushed Louisiana Tech to be the first, along with Oklahoma, to reach 8-0 on this season. And uh, and San Diego State took an early lead and, and never looked back, holding on for a win at Air Force. Um, last, but, but certainly not least, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, perhaps offended that last week, despite them being a power five team, I lumped them in along with SMU, UTSA, and San Diego State as the rest of the unbeatens. They went out and put 70 points on the board against Army. Some fun stats from this one. 23 possessions total in the game. 21 if you want to remove the possessions at the end of the half and the end of the game. There was only one punt. Army held the ball for 43 minutes compared to 17 minutes for the Demon Deacons. Wake Forest had the ball for 17 minutes and scored 70 points. Sam Hartman threw for 458 yards. Army turned it over twice, lost by exactly two touchdowns. Gotta wonder if they avoid those turnovers if we're heading into overtime at 70-70. to 70. And that brings us to a game that did go to overtime. So we mentioned, you know, just talking about Wake and Army. Talking about a game that ended in regulation where 126 points were scored and the winning quarterback threw for 458 yards. The Penn State-Illinois game ended after nine overtimes yielded 38 total points, and the winning quarterback threw for 38 yards. Illinois came away with the win after mercifully scoring in the ninth overtime after Penn State failed to do so. And look, I am not going to talk about the new overtime rules because I've already done that. But when I got home from this wedding weekend, I did go back and watch the overtime periods and was struck by something. So, as you should know by now, but if you don't, I will I will rehash it. Starting in the third overtime now in college football, it becomes a two-point conversion contest. And after each overtime period, it alternates which team gets to choose, you know, offense, defense, or what side of the field you want to play on. So, basically, after each set of two plays, you know, one play from each team from, you know, the two-point conversion, you essentially meet at midfield again and say, we want to go on offense or we want to go on defense or we want to play at this side of the field. This happens after every single session, let's call it. And I noticed that each time the team with the first choice 
always chose to go on defense. And, and this made me laugh because it's just proof that football coaches just get stuck in their ways sometimes without really thinking. You know, now, of course, in traditional overtime period, you want to play defense first so that you know what you need to do on offense. You know, if they score a touchdown, you know you're using four scores uh, to, to try, I mean, four downs to try to get a touchdown. If they don't score at all, you can be conservative, you can play for the field goal, so on and so forth. But in this situation, when it's just one play from each team to either score or not score, you cannot tell me there's any benefit to going second. There's just not. You're, you're trying your best to score on every play. If the other team scores first, you need to try your very best to score to keep the game going. And if the other team doesn't score, you need to try your very best to score to win the game. There, there's no real you know, strategy. In fact, if you wanted to really, I, I could maybe arguably justify that you'd want to play offense first because whatever, whatever unit is going first, there's probably less pressure on them just because they don't, you know, they don't know what the other side has done yet. And I would argue you'd want your offense playing with less pressure on it than your defense. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that this actually makes a big difference, but I'm just saying if you truly said, is there any benefit to either one way or the other, I think I would suggest that you would want your offense to go first in this two-overtime period. But you definitely can't tell me that it's, it's definitely better to have your defense go first. And in fact, I think I would just be choosing which side of the field I wanted to play on, you know, based on where the student section is or, or anything like that. So it's really just proof that these coaches just, just you know, both, both James Franklin and Brett Bielema here were just doing, you know, automatically doing what they know they do in overtime, which is, okay, we're going to play defense first without really thinking about it. I know that this is not the most important things, but these are, the, these are the little things where you watch, you know, 12, 15 games a weekend, and you start thinking about these things, and I, I just, it's, anyway, it, it struck me, I'm sorry if I just wasted three minutes of your lives talking about this, but I just found it really funny that uh, this was, this was the way that uh, the college football coaches were going, and again, just proof that maybe, you know, when it comes down to the sort of the minutia of some of the decision-making you know, they're down on the, there on the field. They're not always making the, the most logical decisions. But let's just back to the game. Um, horrible loss for Penn State. Um, thinking back to where they were in the first quarter against Iowa, looking like they were in good position to move up to number two in the country. Uh, now they'll be probably lucky to finish nine and three. Seven and five is, is definitely a potential outcome for this season. And then all of this becomes kind of extra funny when you think two weeks ago, Penn State fans were doing everything they could to tell themselves that James Franklin would never leave for USC. And now probably a lot of them want him gone. And it's USC that, that may or may not even come after him. So just funny how quickly things can change in college football and a reminder to always try your best to look at uh, the big picture Perhaps in a future show, when maybe there's a little bit less to talk about, uh, we'll we'll discuss the the possible coaching carousel and what moves could be made. Um, one nugget I'll just throw out for now, as as someone who stated on this show back in November of 2020 that I expected Marcus Freeman to be the next defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Again, this was while they still had a defensive coordinator. Clark Lee had not left for for Vanderbilt at that time. Um, I will go out on a 
bit of a limb and say I'm, I'm pretty concerned that with the way some of the pieces could be moving and falling into place, uh, that I, I think there's a pretty decent chance Marcus Freeman will not be the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame in 2022. I would see both Michigan State and Cincinnati head coaching positions as uh, as spots where he could land. But again, we're just uh, we'll we'll save that for another day, and and maybe when we have a little bit more clarity into who could be going where. Um, also on Saturday, Oregon beat UCLA in what was their most impressive performance, I'd say, since that Ohio State game. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is is back to full strength and just wrecking games for opposing offenses. I'm not going to have this discussion in depth until it's warranted, and it'll either be warranted or not warranted by the college football playoff rankings. But just know that if we do reach a point where Oregon only has one loss and is somehow passed in those college football playoff rankings by Ohio State, I am liable to snap. Again, not going into details on the discussion yet. We're going we're gonna to wait to see if it's ever necessary and when it's necessary. But if it happens, be prepared for the snap. Finally, um, Notre Dame handled USC. This Notre Dame offensive line is clearly improving, which makes everything else on the offense improve. Um, great job by Tommy Reese implementing more of a spread, quick passing offense, which is clearly benefiting Jack Cohn. Kyron Williams continues to just be an absolute beast, and I just really encourage Notre Dame fans to cherish the next month because he is the best running back I've ever seen at Notre Dame. Uh, Keep in mind, I was only two for the last few games of Jerome Bettis' career, so can't really speak to that one, but far, and you know, I, I grew up my first game, Autry Denson ran for like 200 yards. I there, Julius Jones was great. Theo Riddick was, you know, about as good a winner as there was. Kyron Williams is, it's not even a close question for me of who the best running back of my Notre Dame watching lifetime has been. And it's Kyron Williams without a doubt. And we're going to miss him very much when he is in the NFL next season. Speaking of cherishing guys, uh, unfortunately, I hope everyone Cherish Kyle Hamilton while you had the chance. Uh, I, I specifically remember we had a guest on the show back in 2019 uh, when he was a freshman talking about how every game that passed was <laughs> kind of sad that it was one fewer game remaining in his Notre Dame career. And uh, and unfortunately, now it just it looks like it might be over. Um, Hamilton suffered a knee injury against USC. Um, sounds like he could likely be physically ready to return in a few weeks. You just have to wonder if someone who's expected to be a top five pick in the NFL draft is going to risk returning from injury um, for the last few games of a season that probably is not resulting in a college football playoff berth. Um, So if I were a betting man, which I am, uh, I would say that we probably don't see Kyle Hamilton in pads for Notre Dame again, which is tough and, and is tough when you consider some of the opponents Notre Dame has coming up. So I I guess that's as good a segue as any into week nine, um, which I will be back in South Bend attending the game against North Carolina. The Tar Heels, obviously, with very high aspirations coming into this season, but have been up and down, uh, you know, 20-point win against Virginia, the very good, Uh, 23-point loss against Georgia Tech, the very bad, also losses to Virginia Tech, 
and Florida State. I, did I say Virginia Tech or Georgia? The tw- I, I can never remember what I say. The 23-point loss was to Georgia Tech. Other losses to Virginia Tech and Florida State. I probably said it right the first time. I just This is the thing. I'm just sitting here in a room, looking around. I start to second-guess myself. I'm fine, everybody. Um, but don't let the 4-3 and three record fool you. This is an offense with a lot of firepower, uh, a lot of, of talent on that defense. They just, for whatever reason, have not been able to put it all together this season. And perhaps the week off to prepare, which they had last week, is, is going to help some things click into place on paper. This is a really terrible opponent to not have Kyle Hamilton against. Um, the Notre Dame secondary is, you know, it's been essentially an All-American surrounded by duct tape, rubber bands, and chewing gum. And now that, you know, the All-American is being replaced by a Band-Aid. So the the back end of this defense is is seriously, you know, there's potential for it to just crumble against the likes of, say, Sam Howell and Josh Downs this weekend. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is that Kyle Hamilton was ejected from last year's game uh, against North Carolina for targeting, and the defense played the entire second half without him, held up just fine. So who knows what to expect? Um, I do imagine that having a full week to prepare for a defense that they know will be missing Kyle Hamilton should help North Carolina scheme into some favorable matchups. Um, so it's really going to be key for Notre Dame's defensive line to create pressure on Sam Howell and for the back end of the defense to sim- simply keep everything in front of them. If they can, you know, maybe they're going to have to be a little less aggressive on the back end, keep everything in front, and force North Carolina to have, you know, long 8, 9, 12 play drives try to get into the end zone. Um, whereas, you know, if they get beat over the top on big plays, that's really obviously going to be a challenge. So give the defensive line a chance to create sacks and negative plays and just keep everything in front of them is the key for Notre Dame. On the other side of the ball, Notre Dame's clearly progressing and and needs to continue to show that growth. Um, They're going to need 30-plus points in this one to win. They need to avoid turnovers. I mean, that's, you know, about as simple as it gets. Um, As I said last week, I'm I'm done making predictions on Notre Dame. Uh, But... I, I am thinking this is going to take a pretty darn good offensive performance to, uh, for, for Notre Dame to, to pull this one out. Um, all right, before I, before I wrap the show talking about uh, several other matchups from the week, let's, uh, let's go on to the conversation with our guest about the biggest matchup of Week 9. I'm now joined by a guest whose voice will be remembered by Longtime listeners of the program, one of the co-founders of the Scoop and Score podcast. Welcome to the show, Andrew Kahn of MLive.com. How are you? Good. Good to be back on the Scoop and Score podcast, which I created all by myself and birthed and really raised and then you know, he brought you on and you, you've, you've taken it now into its teenage years. What the point of this was, I'm sure there's someone else that is just as knowledgeable about Michigan and Michigan state that I could bring on to talk about this show, but. Oh, there's plenty of people. I'm trying to do you a favor and then spread, you know, spread your name out there to a, to a broader audience. I I thought I was doing you a favor. Yes. MLive.com, the Wolverine Confidential Podcast, if you want to hear all things University of Michigan athletics. There you go. Um, 
and you know, M Live is a is a statewide publication, is it not? So there's there's some Michigan State coverage as well. So it really is, you know, it makes sense for you to be coming here uh, the the week of what I call the pettiest rivalry in college football, just given the uh, the behavior of the two teams. Typically, it's it's one of my very favorites in the sport. Yes, and it's the biggest game of the day on Saturday. I all you know, I'm a true pro when I'm in the press box covering games, but well, I don't know if this is a but. Also, I'll say it's nice to are. it's nice to be at the biggest game, like the game that you know if you're a fan of the sport, you're watching. You know, you're there's not many of those in a in a college football season. There might not be any of those sometimes. Uh you know, college basketball, I've been lucky enough covering the Michigan men, their, you know, final four runs and things like that. But, you know, that to have any on any day to be at the game, you know, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. But there that would be that would be the case for for this Saturday game. It's not always true, but it is. That's that's the biggest one. And game day is going to be there. And the Fox show, they're both. They're getting a double dip. Michigan and Wisconsin got it earlier in the year. And it's fun as a a watcher of these shows to sort of play off of, you know, watch them play off of each other. There's a lot of, uh, do you watch the game day or, or big noon very often this year? Yeah. I mean, game day is, is, is on the TV. I mean, how, how much I'm able to watch is a different story, but I, I've never really watched the Fox. There's been a couple fun things. I mean, I am of, you, you notice that game day will go to a commercial at say nine 57 and come back at nine 59 to make sure that you're not switching over for the start of big noon. This is, they, they definitely have timing things like that in play where they're making sure that they're coming back from commercial and that's thus starting probably, you know, like a 12 minute, no commercial segment right before the start of big noon. And lately it's, it's for sure. They've, they've been going like four minutes into, you know, the, the 12 o'clock hour with their picks almost, you know, trying to keep you away from, the big noon, uh, you know, the big noon game that's over on Fox now. Granted, with with your your pal Bill Walton last week, there was nothing that they could really do about it. Did you catch Did you catch Walton last week on the show? I did not. No. Oh my I, goodness! You should, you should seek it out. It Michigan great. had a noon kick, you know. So it was <laughs> hilarious. Lee Corso was clearly not thrilled that a lot of his airtime was taken away, which was all a funny dynamic. But but Walton was uh, just reference sleeping Walton. in the desert. He, he was saying a lot of things. He, he was hilarious. He always is hilarious and, uh, and is uh, a perfect guest picker. Jorge Sounds like he, ESPN's taking a page out of the old TBS playbook with uh, their, remember? The, oh, the old fives? The, the, the shows old, used to start a little later and go <laughs> then a little later. It's interesting. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a ploy. I don't know what they were gaining from that, but, uh, you know good good for them they they it's it's made tbs the striving uh channel thriving i always do that i say striving when i mean thriving they're kind of sort of similar words and obviously they sound similar so i guess it's uh it's an easy mistake to make here do you want to get right into the football or do you want to talk about other things in our lives because there's obviously one very important thing to talk about in my life and not not your life um as i'm sure we'll we'll get to but you want what, what what do you you're the guest we there's no structure on this show what do you want to do i mean i think we're thinking the same thing that is the major motion picture lamb 
to call it a masterpiece would be so unfair to the film. Yeah, now, I mean, here's the thing. Well, I'll ask you a couple questions. You have not seen the movie, correct? That is correct. There is no chance you will be seeing it in theaters. That, I mean, that's also correct. I'm not going to go to the movie alone. Nothing against people who do. You, I'm sure, did. I went alone. I was one of four people in the theater. As a married man, I'm not going to go to a movie alone. And there's no... I don't know what it has to do with relationship status. Well, there's, and I have two children. I'm not going to a movie. I have no time to go to a movie by myself. I'll accept, Listen, that. I'll accept that as a reason. Okay. Um, well, let me tell you this. And there's no way Megan is going to see a movie, a scary movie. So well, it's not going to happen. Avoiding spoilers. It's not a scary movie. It's not a scary movie. It is Creepy. a, I would argue it is a horror classic, but it is not a scary movie. I was yeah. At, you're not gonna not gonna be oh, jump out of your seat. Scary. Yes. At, at no point was I was I you know scared. Well, I was I was I was scared, but I wasn't. It's 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 easy. You know you yeah. It's lack of jump scare, lack of jump scares for sure, Maybe. and really no threats of jump scares. Sometimes there are no jump scares, but you kind of think there's gonna be jump scares, and that's just as scary as anything else. Really no threat of jump scares in the movie. Here's the thing, and I say this, and I hope I'm wrong. I don't think there's any chance you get through the movie because, you know, if you don't have explosions or, you know, death or fart jokes in the first 10 minutes, you're out. That's your MO. I mean, this movie respond to that. This movie is in like Icelandic or Finnish or whatever language they speak up in in that part of the world. Oh, yeah. You don't like reading. Did did I was that clear in the trailer? Well, there were only like three lines of dialogue in in the trailer and they were all written in words on the bottom. (laughs) Subtitles. Yes. Um, Uh, Okay, I didn't forget it. Remember that, you know, there's no dialogue for like 12 minutes of this movie. It's it's not going to be your cup of tea. But boy, is it. Let's just say why you say that. No spoilers, but it's everything I hoped it would be. And went in all the directions I wanted it to go. And then just added just the most delicious cherry on top of this beautiful Sunday of a film. No, I look, I look forward to seeing it. As you know, I can, I can point out these classics from the trailers and I did it with this one. You did. I said to you, this will be, I said to you, come looks like I've done it again. Okay. But this, but yeah, subtitle, that's not a problem for me. I watch, I prefer to watch everything in subtitles. Oh yeah. Megan and I are rewatching 24. Got to watch that with subtitles. Pretty, That's pretty much. similar to streaming, which you are a streamer of television. This generation seems to be watching more and more things in subtitles, and I believe it's just a way of, you know, you're, you're you have to play, just pay closer attention. Use your. We were given ears. You remember twenty four though. That was that was a tough. Plenty of evolution has allowed us to hear things. If you're reading, you're not. You're not engaged enough if you're using this just pay attention stop using something you don't like to read that's part of the issue here but i i don't don't like reading novels i think you know there's better forms of entertainment out there for the listeners out there steve has brought the same book on our our family summer vacation for i mean as long as he learned to read i've been reading the espn oral history since late 2012 it's a long book 
It's not, it's not that interesting, especially after that first half. I've read books. In- I mean, that, that's unbelievable perseverance to stick with a book for nine years. Yeah, I'll finish it one day. I think I'm, I, I'm looking at it right now. I see it it's on my book. Just... Shelf. It's, I'm about probably 70% finished. I've read books in between. It's not like this is I haven't completed a book in this time. Yeah. Anyway. I feel we're going to talk fantasy football too, as well. I mean, oh, uh, yeah, I, about that, you're but... probably not talking about it so much on your podcast regularly because you know I'm just dominating the league uh, again. Really... Uh, smacked you up a couple of weeks ago, um, despite I mean it didn't wasn't looking good for me. I think I had an injured player, uh, you know, a late scratch in there, and still still dominated. Uh, yeah, I'm running away with this thing. Uh, yeah, my team's been, uh, you know, bit by the injury bug, but uh, I've stacked enough talent that uh, I'm not concerned at all when it comes playoff time. I think I will be winning the championship for what feels like the eighth consecutive season. I know we didn't play last year, um, you know, with with some of the COVID concerns and different teams starting at different times. But, you know, you're certainly doing a nice job. Our cousin Caroline is up there doing a really nice job. I, I think that we're looking at a at a three horse race down the stretch here, but I'm confident that, that I'm going to come away victorious. All right. I mean, I'll talk Michigan, Michigan State's a big game. Is there anything else in our lives we need to talk about? Um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, um, you know, there's, I don't think so. There's not anything going on in your world. I mean, there's always, always a lot going on, but yeah, you know, basketball season's yeah. about to start. Uh, What's about to start? Michigan basketball? Basketball season. Yep. Hey, you got an AP vote this year. Congratulations. Yep, got an AP vote. A re- obviously, you know, no no surprise. Major snub to Notre Dame. Not putting them in your top 25, despite all of the uh, experience they have coming back, as well as, you know, a, a conference player of the year transferring in. So, yeah, snub, snub. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know that, all of that. Yeah, well, maybe they should be reevaluating who gets AP votes. It's a lot of beat writers, which are not going to necessarily know the national landscape. That's for sure. But, you know, how many people truly know the national landscape? I certainly did did some studying in the end. My ballot was pretty close to what came out, which I didn't love, actually. But it is what it is. It is what it is. And so is Michigan, Michigan State playing in East Lansing at noon on Saturday on Fox. We got we got Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on the call. Should be a good one. Tell us what we need to know about the Wolverines. Well, I mean, yeah, it should be a good one. What do you need to know about the Wolverines? Uh, well, they are 7-0, and much like Michigan State. They are number six in the country. Uh, this is... The AP poll on this program. This is all... My colleague has a vote on the AP and uh, for the football side. I'm, I'm happy for him the same way I'm happy for you, but it's, you know, it's a meaningless poll. Well, sometimes it's like, shouldn't you be playing the games? You know, I mean, you're playing the games. What's the point of them sometimes? We used to argue about that, you know, otherwise just put Alabama and, you know, Ohio State in the championship every year. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, this this start from Michigan is has exceeded, you know, preseason fan expect, you know, expectations. You know, even the most optimistic fan, I would say, uh, you know, wouldn't have thought, I, I guess, you know, this being seven and oh, it's not crazy because you haven't, this is now the tough stretch, but still winning at Wisconsin and, and not slipping up in any of the other games has uh, a big deal. The defense much improved with a whole new staff on that side of the ball. 
you know, Jim Harbaugh went, went younger, uh, and, and, and really, yeah, shook up his staff in the offseason. Mo- most of those changes coming on the defensive side. Um, so they've been really good. Uh, second, second in the country, actually, in scoring defense. Um, and yeah, the offense has been, has been good. Uh, you know, heavily have a heavy rushing attack is what does it. They've got the, you know, the two headed monster, Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins. Uh, did you see Hassan Haskins run? last week against Northwestern when the whole pile was moving. I don't know if you, you know, no, I mean, it, wasn't it seems like you're telling me to watch different Hassan Haskins run on the <laughs> YouTubes every, every week. I went back and watched his leap uh, against Nebraska. I didn't, that, that was worth it. Yes. That was worth the search. Was it not? It was, I mean, it was a pretty good hurdle, you know, it was, it was pretty good to keep going. Well, this was one, one of, where was one of the three or four best hurdles we've seen. Yeah. So then this one, he goes into a pile of, of, of defenders and, uh, you know, they, they don't blow the whistle and then some, uh, you know, some Michigan offensive linemen start coming and pushing the pile. This is a play we've seen. Yes. You know, the push- that this could happen on almost every play that have, I don't, as, as I always joke with friends, the easiest way to continue to gain yards in football is just refuse to go down. And I don't know why this isn't done more. Just keep going and have people push you. Uh, yeah, that is the goal of the ball carrier in every situation. Well, they, However, the defenders are trying to take him down. That's, sometimes they go down much too easily because they're not willing to fight back. Um, well, okay. Anyway, maybe you won't be as impressed with this play then. I don't know. But anyway, the line starts pushing him fine. We've seen that before. What I haven't, can't say I've seen before is then for the ball carrier to escape from this pile and go gain some more yards after that ends up with a 19-yard gain. It was impressive. Uh, so yeah, the the critique of the offense is you know, the passing game, specifically the downfield vertical attack hasn't really been there. Uh, you know, can it be there when they need it to be there, which is, you know, the thought is this, you know, this, this stretch of games coming up where you got Michigan state, uh, you know, at Penn state, which isn't looking as scary as, as it once was, but still, uh, you know, figures to be one of the tougher games. And then of course, Ohio state at the end of the year. So, uh, yeah, that that's Michigan, but I can I can of course say more. Yeah, I mean, you know, McNamara has really just not been asked to do anything um, for the most part. Asked yep. a little bit more in that Nebraska game, and mixed results. Is that fair to say in terms of you know showing what he was able to do when they when they actually needed to throw a little bit? Yeah, yeah, he was good in that one, and you know the, the Wisconsin game they they opened up the offense uh, a, a little more in, in that one too, and you know he was he was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he, he is like kind of the ultimate, you know, game manager. He doesn't, he doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, he, he avoids getting sacked, sacked. Um, yeah. And he, you know, he's, he's pretty accurate on the, you know, short and intermediate routes. Um, I think part of the deep ball problem is, is the receivers too. I don't think they have that, you know, key guy or, or guys, uh, you know, to kind of be game breakers. And, and especially once, you know, their top guy, Ronnie Bell went down in the, first half of the first game. So uh, yeah, he's been very good, but yes, there are many people that, that would prefer to see the true freshman five-star JJ McCarthy in there. But I think that's, you know, kind of that's college football, right? The backup quarterbacks often the most popular guy on campus. So um, part of the reason I've been letting you talk this long uninterrupted is that I was looking for you. You mentioned that this was exceeding all Michigan fans, even expectations. I was I was looking for a text conversation where I told you preseason that I had Michigan going to the Big Ten championship and beating Ohio State this season. 
and you called me, I think, a damn fool. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't find that text message. It, who knows what form of communication it was it was said over. No, um, so you haven't found it. So who knows if I actually said it, that? But. Well, you're always you're always DMing me on Twitter like some kind of weirdo, and I didn't want to. I, yeah. I, Sometimes I'm on my computer. It's easier to type than to you know type on the on the keyboard than to tap it out on my phone. But yeah, uh, listen. First of all, they haven't done that yet. They haven't beaten Ohio State yet and gotten to the to the Big Ten championship. Um, Ohio State is looking now after a little brief stretch of struggles, uh, very good again. So yeah. we'll see. But but yeah, no, Michigan is absolutely vulnerable against the run that Ohio State team. But we're not here to talk about Ohio State. No. We're here to talk no, about this is Michigan. part of the problem that some people say Michigan has with Michigan State is always thinking about Ohio State and not enough about about you know I Michigan State. Not, well, I hope they're not spending too much time thinking about Ohio State because the revol- results have not. No, exactly. That's the thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. What are, what are they? But uh, and I look at Michigan State and boy, do these two teams have similar resumes. They both yep. played legitimate close games where they absolutely could have lost against Nebraska. And they both played moderately close games where the teams put the pressure on them. Michigan with Rutgers and Michigan State with Indiana. Yep. And the rest of their games, they've pretty much won comfortable. I mean, it's it's really a mirror image. And they've got pretty similar rosters. I mean, you talk about the Kenneth Walker, the third kid at running back, you know, maybe, maybe kind of a combination of, of Corum and, and Haskins. If you, if you want to get into it a little, you know, kind of the shiftiness of Corum and the, and a little more power like Haskins. And then, you know, I don't know, are, are you think any receivers on, on Michigan match up? Not that the receivers are playing against their receivers. Uh, yeah. I receivers think they're better. Are- the Michigan state receivers seem to be better to me, but. Yeah, I mean Jalen Naylor has has been a guy, and uh, and this Jaden Reed kid pretty pretty solid as well. Maybe a, a better one-two punch, um, but but certainly just comparable comparable rosters. It seems like comparable strengths on defense. Although uh, you know Michigan's Michigan, I would I would give the edge there. So what is you know do do we think if what, you had an AP poll vote? Okay, you don't want to talk about the AP poll. Who who would you have ahead right now between those teams? Because because I agree with you, I do. I, I do Big Ten power rankings every week for him live. Uh, you know, and, and today is when they came out. And for now several weeks, honestly, maybe the the whole season based on how it started. Uh, I've had Michigan State ahead of ahead of Michigan. I mean, they're they're right now they're uh, you know two and three behind Ohio State. And I do get some flack for having Michigan State ahead of Michigan, but uh, I, I don't know. It's really it's it's kind of splitting hairs. Um, I think I'd lean I, Michigan, you know, go, it's, geez, I mean, the, the, the old adage that nobody's played anybody. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's really kind of true, but I, the fact that I'm saying that Michigan going to Nebraska and winning by four is sort of the, the thing that, that tips the scales or, or the fact that they crushed, crushed Western Michigan, who in one of the strangest uh, outcomes of the season beat Pittsburgh, um like yeah these, i mean michigan you know they, yeah they went to wisconsin and won like so you know and you know michigan state had that win at miami you know they were ranked at the time but yeah it's like yeah it's, it's i think it'll be a very good game now michigan obviously is is you know a small favorite on the road but you know as you know the spread is not necessarily an indicator of you know what they think the score will be so yeah it's should be a very good game i i do i think they're pretty evenly matched and I would guess that this one's going to be pretty low scoring. Um, what's, what, what, you got the over under in front of you? 
I, I don't. Um, Let me you know, I'll say just, ba- you know, I've had, you know, press conferences, you know, already, you know, a couple of them this this week leading up to the game you know, with Harbaugh and players. And a lot of the Michigan, you know, reporters, just based on the questions, you know, the, the thought seems to be that Michigan State will be able to slow Michigan's rushing attack. Like this will be a game where Michigan will have to, you know, use McNamara more in the passing game more, you know, to move the ball and score points. I'm not, I'm not sure I like buy that fully. I mean, I think for Michigan state to win, they have to, they have to try to make Michigan a little more one dimensional, but I don't see, you know, I'm not seeing Michigan state's run defenses, you know, uh, elite by any means. I mean, Wisconsin's. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're not by, you know, the statistics like, yeah, by Wisconsin going in like, all right, yeah, that that's what they did. Um, yeah. Michigan State is I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. They're giving yeah. up, you know, I see 120 yards a game on the ground. Like, all right. But I think the difference there is against Wisconsin, you could afford to have 13 points at halftime and feel completely right. good going into the locker room. Whereas against Michigan State, that might not be the case if they, you know, they they were certainly, you know, making a habit early in the season of like scoring on 80 yard plays over and over and over again. And yeah. that's something that, you know, Michigan, you know, they've, they've got the strong uh, defensive line for sure. They got what that Daxton Hill kid who I've always really liked is uh, is a big time player in the secondary, but no matter, you know, it, it, it can be hard to give up, you know, Michigan has my mind, tell me if I'm wrong, Michigan has the kind of defense that makes it very hard to sustain long drives and put the ball in the end zone but it, it's when you're going up against a, a team like Michigan State that has, you know, and it's funny to say this about Michigan State because it feels like we haven't said this since like the late 90s and early 2000s with them, but they've got the explosive playmakers. That, I think, is the more dangerous kind of offense for, for Michigan's defense. Maybe. They haven't really given up that many big plays, haven't got beat over the top like that much. I mean, they've been very sound all around. So I don't know. I mean... The player to watch on Michigan's defense, number 97, Eden Hutchinson, uh, came back for his senior year, projected, you know, as a possible like top five pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I mean, he is just he is just a beast. I mean, truly, if you watch him, he gets double team most plays. Um, I mean, he just has they talk about his, his motor or whatever. I mean, just relentless, you know, every single snap um, and just this just combination of, of speed and power. Uh, you know, to get by, he was ever trying to block him and just, you know, get, get in the backfield. It's, it's, you know, really, really impressive. Um, but yeah, you know, on the other kind of the other side of the defensive line, um, David Ojabo, number 55, you know, he's been, he's been I'm a big, big, time weirdo. big surprise as well. I actually wrote a story about him earlier this year, um, kind of before his major breakout, uh, number 12 in the middle linebacker, Josh Ross, very solid. And yeah, in the back end, you mentioned him, uh, Dax Hill, number 30. Um, you know, he was, he was a five-star kid. I mean, I think he's maybe a top, like top 10 recruit nationally, yeah, possibly, time. but, uh, yeah, I mean, he is, he is, uh, you know, very, very skilled, very athletic, um, but doesn't always make, not necessarily like making highlight real plays. I mean, he's just kind of in the, in the right spot and, um, you know, making everybody else's job easier. So yeah, the defense has been, you know, pleasant surprise though, you know, given not very good last year, but yeah, shook up the staff and. Yeah, they're playing. They're playing really well. But yeah, this will be a big test. Now, I imagine anyone listening pretty much knows the history of this rivalry. Um, you know, from from 1970 to 2007, Michigan 
pretty much dominated. And then of course the little brother comments from Mike Hart. And then it was what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine out of 13 for Michigan State since then. And this is not one that really seems to have a lot of correlation to the home team winning. Um, so what, True. what do you think, anything, anything you can think of that, that why that might be, that the, the home field advantage isn't a big deal in this one? I, I don't know. I don't know. They don't respect that other team's home field, I guess. I don't know. I was there when uh, know that, uh, Devin uh, Bush was angles. Scr- scraping his cleats across midfield. Yeah. I, I was like, just got there in the press box. Yeah. I'm like, what is going on down there? James, uh, essentially. Yeah, it was it was something. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's Michigan's first game on grass this year. I know that. Well, they haven't played away from home yet this season. They went to Nebraska. Um, and they went to Wisconsin. And they went to Wisconsin. They've, yeah, they've gone places, I suppose. You know, um, I'm pretty much out of things to say. Are you allowed to give a prediction? Or are you contractually obligated to, to, you know, give a prediction, you know, when you're, when you're on your podcast or something? And who knows? Yes, we do. We do run it. Uh, I think every Friday morning is when it runs. This is going to be a tough one. I'm going to need I'm going to need right up till Thursday night when I have to send it in. I feel like and even then I won't feel good about it. Um, You're going to pick Michigan. When have you ever not picked Michigan? I didn't pick them against Wisconsin. I was wrong. Terrible pick. I have. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I picked them. That's my only loss this year. I have picked them to win their other games and they have. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, this one is really tough. It really is tough. The line is a little bigger than I thought it would be. Um, but which is like four, four and a half, whatever. Uh, I don't know. This really, you hit on some of the things I've been thinking about, you know, Michigan state's receivers, um, you know, Michigan state secondary is, is much improved playing with more confidence. They certainly think they're better equipped to, to handle Michigan state this time around compared to last year. Um, I don't know. I, I really, I'm really am not, not sure yet. Uh, but again, the thing about Michigan running the ball, like I, I still think they can have success there. It'll definitely be a game where they'll, they'll stick with it. I mean, like they, they did against Wisconsin. They still ran the ball a fair amount, um, and still cracked. Like uh, off the top of my head, it was like, you know, 30 some rushes for like 140 yards, something like that. Like it, nothing that pops off the box score, but, you know, they stuck with it and got those, you know, three, four, five yard runs, uh, you know, to kind of stay ahead of the chains, as they say. So, you know, I think Michigan will do that against Michigan State. Um, but yeah, Michigan State's offense more more capable of, you know, you know, putting up some points in a hurry. Uh, it'll be interesting if Michigan gets behind. I mean, it, they've only been behind twice this season. It was against Nebraska both times, um, you know, and they, they, you know, late in that game and, you know, they did what they needed to do. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. No, no prediction from me yet. Uh, hey, I'm the winner because I'm going to be paid to be there. Yeah. You don't even get to, you don't get to cheer or, or anything, anything fun, you know, but it is what it is. Um, big picture. You know, now we got to, we got to ask you something here. You can't even give us, we got a Michigan expert. He can't give us a prediction. So I'm going to have to ask you another question here. What is the vibe around Jim Harbaugh at the University of Michigan right now? 
I mean, much better than it was, you know, two months ago. Is it good? I mean, let's. Yeah, it seems like the staff, you know, when you make a big staff change like that, I mean, you can obviously go one of two ways and eventually it's like, all right, well, now it's on you. So far, definitely so good with that. Um, You know, I don't think don't think there's any, you know, cut and dried number he needs to he needs to win this many games or needs to beat this team or that team this year by any means. Um, but yeah, winning, if, winning these rivalry games is obviously huge. And, and here's one of them. I guess the question is if at, you know, we're looking at Michigan state at Penn state and, and home against Ohio state, if those are three losses and, and you finish nine and three. Yeah. What is this season failure, success or right in the middle? Yeah. I mean, right before the season, it's like, ah, all right, then. You know, you won. I mean, that means you won at what you know. But uh, how are you looking at it now? You're seven and zero. Like that's you're here. You're here now with that number, and none of those other games yeah, should I be losses. It, so yes, yeah, I get what you're saying. Shown enough improvement that you're willing to see what next year looks like, no matter what. Yeah, they'll. Yes, he's not going to be gone before next year. I don't think, no matter what. Yeah, I would have almost said that before the year, but especially now. I got you. Anything else uh, specific to this matchup that uh, that you wanted to touch on that I didn't ask you about? Nope, I'll be there. Like why I said, a light, why you got a light behind you? What's the point of that? Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't have me turn it off. Actually, no. It, I mean, it's just for my for my. It yeah, it looks weird when I'm on the camera and it's coming from behind me, but just to to light up my desk a little bit. All right, seems like. Yeah. I have to be better places for that. I mean, you're backlighting yourself, or do you have any idea how lighting works? Well, yeah, I'm not. I yes, it's not for the camera lighting. It's for it's for working at my desk, writing and seeing things that I'm reading. You ever have to do things that are video related for your work? Well, I wouldn't have this on if I'm being recorded. I'm saying, do you have one of those like ring lights that like you know people that like professionally are you know making sure they look good on zooms? No, no. All right. And, you know, nothing, nothing uh, finalized yet, but there is, let's just say there's, there's certainly speculation that this could be your last ever appearance on the scoop and score podcast. Um, Is there anything that you would like to say with that possibility in mind? Well, I don't something happening with the podcast speculation, you know, it could, that could be something related to you. It could be something related to the podcast. Um, you know, who knows? No, I have no problems. There's nothing wrong with me. Well, do you have any, do you have anything that you'd like to say in case this is your last appearance ever on the podcast? No, I don't. No, I don't. Wow. All right. That's, uh, that's, that's Andrew Kahn of MLive.com signing off from Scoop and Score forever. All right. So it's just me again. And uh, listener Brian O'Neill said this week nine slate was a good one. And the closer I look, the more I agree. But it's maybe not the matchups I expected that make it a good one. You know, we, we do have the cocktail party, which, which looked a lot more interesting a few weeks ago. Um, this Georgia defense is absolutely nasty. Uh, but we have seen Dan Mullen scheme up offense against teams with more talent many times in the past. Um, you know, is he going to hand the keys to, to Anthony Richardson on offense? There's no reason that Georgia should lose this game. But if you're telling me to pick a coach that can make things interesting against a better team, 
Dan Mullen is pretty high on that list. I'll take the dogs, but it wouldn't shock me if the Gators jumped out early and looked competitive. Uh, add, add Penn State and Ohio State to the list of uh, looked more interesting a few weeks ago. Only with this one, I don't see any chance of intrigue. Ohio State's offense is going to score at a pace that Penn State just can't keep up with. Um, and, and Penn State really hasn't had the dynamic running game that I expected coming into the year, which is the one place that the Buckeyes seem to be actually vulnerable. So I do not expect this one to be close. We do have a fun one in the SEC with Ole Miss visiting Auburn. Unclear how healthy Matt Corral is at this point, and you never know what kind of performance you're going to get from Bo Nix. So instead of making any kind of predictions for this one, I just suggest you tune in from time to time. I'm sure it'll be entertaining. And I will make the prediction that this one is going to have a pretty exciting fourth quarter. So maybe get ready to, uh, to tune in for that one late. One of the sneaky good games that I referenced earlier um, has undefeated SMU heading to Houston in what I'm currently seeing as a pick'em. Both teams undefeated in the AAC, SMU holding a non-conference win at TCU while Houston lost to Texas Tech to open the season. This should be a great environment and a good test for Tanner Mordecai and the SMU Mustangs. Can they remain undefeated at this point in the season when it's just survive in advance? Some solid late-night action as well. Bronco Mendenhall and Virginia heading out west to play his old team at BYU. Uh, should certainly be fun to see Brennan Armstrong go up against this Cougar defense. That, uh, that, that UVA offense is fun, so uh, definitely recommend tuning in for that one. And then uh, San Diego State hosts Fresno State. Another tough test for Brady Hoke and the undefeated Aztecs. Similar situation uh, as, as what I said with SMU. You know, a, a small spread, tough test. Can they stay undefeated at this point in the season where, where the pressure continues to build? Uh, now for my three picks of the week. I'm 12-12 and 12 heading into week nine here, and it is officially time to start creating some profit. First game I like is Texas plus two and a half at Baylor. I'm seeing plus three now, so go ahead and grab that extra half point. Both teams coming off an idle week should be a great matchup. What this really comes down to for me is looking at the two teams and their current records. Texas at four and three, Baylor at six and one. And I say, what's more likely, that Texas is going to be four and four and Baylor is going to be seven and one, or Texas is going to be five and three and Baylor is going to be six and two? I'm going with the latter. I think Texas wins outright in Waco, so let's just take the free points there. Uh, staying in the Big 12, I like Oklahoma, minus 19 and a half, hosting Texas Tech. Texas Tech just fired Matt Wells in the middle of his third season, and I just don't see this as the kind of situation where the players hated him and now they're going to rally or anything like that. Um, I, I, I imagine the Red Raiders are, are mostly just going to ride this season out at this point. And after a sleepy 11 a.m. local kickoff against Kansas, I can sort of excuse the slow start for the Sooners in that one. I think Oklahoma is going to be refocused, wins this game easily by three touchdowns. Um, I'll, I'll go so far as to say something along the lines of 56 to 21. So I don't think the 19 and a half points is much of a concern. And my final pick of the week, 
We're going to go Wake Forest minus 16 and a half versus Duke. I just don't really understand this line unless the idea is that Wake's defense is all discombobulated after playing against the triple option. Um, but Duke stinks everywhere, and they really stink on the road. Uh, they lost at UNC by 31 and at UVA by 48. From my vantage point, Wake Forest is better than both UNC and UVA. So similar to what I just said about Oklahoma, I don't see why the Deeks don't win this one by three touchdowns. Give me Wake Forest 49-14 to 14 and call it a day. This one feels... Uh, I this it, we're, It's going to be a profitable week, and I think... This might be the time you throw the, the three-team parlay together. We might go 3-0 on this one. So we're going we're gonna to take off. This is going to be the accelerator we need into profit, close out November strong, and you know once we get to championship Saturday, it's, 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 all, it's all gravy at that point. So that's it for this week. Hope this one was long enough. Danny Dimes, hope you're finishing that last rep at the gym. I'm off to South Bend. Hope everyone has a happy and healthy Halloween. And if you see a lamb... Run. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.